As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to our first regular season, post-game, head of the pack. Bill and I are here in Minnesota about 9.36 p.m. Central Time after the Vikings' 23-7 win over the Packers in Week 1. Kind of deja vu from Week 1 last year when the Packers got trounced 38-3 in Jacksonville against the Saints. But more of the same. I mean, just futility on both sides of the ball. Uh, Defense in the first half, not so much second half. Offense was kind of cruddy the entire game. I want to start with the game plan for defending Justin Jefferson because I thought that was the most interesting thing that came out of locker room today. Um, our, our friend Rob Domofsky and I were talking to Jair Alexander after uh, the group kind of dissipated around him after he finished talking. And he was asked about him not following or shadowing Justin Jefferson, who had nine catches for 184 yards and two touchdowns today. And Jair said all week he asked coaches to let him follow Justin Jefferson. And uh, apparently they said no. And he went off. And none of those were really when he was against Jair. I remember my unofficial count is three targets for Jair, uh, no catches allowed. There was the one miscommunication where he let Jefferson go to the left, passed him off in the zone when Jair said he should have stayed with him. Maybe that's just him taking accountability. I don't know if he actually should have. But um, interesting. To, to hear Jair say that, he said, it's, it's not about me, it's about the team, but you guys know what I would have done. I wanted to stay with them. Let me ask you this, Bill. I know it's not as simple as just let your top cornerback follow him because sometimes they're in zone. LaFleur said if they're in man, it would be easier, but they're in zone and you can't just let someone follow Jefferson across the line because it would mess up everything else. But you at least have to think they put the highest paid cornerback in NFL history on a top three receiver in the NFL more than they did today, right? Yeah, it was, it was nonsensical, Matt. Um, they were getting torched by him on that opening drive. Why, why not change? Where, where is the adjustment? Maybe they adjusted some in the second half, but you know, by that time it's 17-0 at halftime. You know, they just, Stokes is on the defense's right side, and he just kept sticking Jefferson on the, on the offense's left side to go up against him. It was... Smart coaching, easy coaching by the Vikings. I, I, 
you know, to your point, man, about being the highest paid corner, why, why have the highest paid corner if you're not going to use them? So it make, makes no sense to me. They have to come up with the adjustment for the rematch because that's going to be more of the same otherwise. Right. I think I don't have the official numbers because I have to rewatch the game tomorrow. And then, uh, you know, the pro football focus and true media stuff takes a little while to come out the advanced numbers, but you know, Jair was on Adam Thielen's side most of the first half and Thielen was very quiet. And then all of a sudden in the third quarter, Thielen gets two big first down catches on one drive. And who's the nearest defender on him? Eric Stokes. And Justin Jefferson goes quiet. I believe three catches for 26 yards in the second half. And his 21-yard catch in the second half, Darnell Savage was the nearest defender, and Savage popped up and started yelling at someone, so it sounded like a miscommunication. It is perplexing, to say the least. When we talk to Joe Barry, the thing is, when we talk to coordinators on Thursday, so obviously it will be a question brought up to Joe Barry, but it's kind of, we're past that. We're on to the next game. We have to write and talk about the next game. But it is interesting. They're going to have to change something for the matchup uh, against the Vikings later in the season. I believe it's week 17 in Green Bay, but... Um, what I was perplexed about is communication. There were multiple miscommunications. And I wrote tonight, this is not a new defense. This is not a new defensive coordinator. Like, what are we doing here? It, these five guys on the back end have all played together. I get Jair and Eric Stokes don't have that much time on the field together. But I asked Jair, how, how are there so many miscommunications uh, when – you guys know each other so well. And he pretty much just chalked it up to you get unscouted looks in week one. We're going to get better with our chemistry tenfold by next Sunday night. And maybe he's right, but there were some concerning aspects on defense. Uh, another one of which was the, the defensive front. They sacked Kirk Cousins once. They gave up more than four yards of carry. When they uh, have the Vikings pinned on the one-yard line after they don't get the fourth and goal from the one with A.J. Dillon, Dalvin Cook has – they get no push. Like, Dalvin – Jaron Reed was getting yeah. bullied up mm -hmm. there a couple times. Um, yeah, Kenny Clark got through for a couple pressures. So did Rashawn Gary. But Joe Barry said two days ago, our front is special. I saw nothing special about it today. Yeah, you know, gosh, they were – as much hype as these guys have gotten by people like us, you know, the players, the players all along have said we have to go prove it. But – they were outplayed. They, they, they had some good moments of coverage. They had a little bit of a pass rush, but they didn't make any plays. I mean, you know, the Vikings had, they had what, four sacks and two turnovers. The Packers never got close to any interceptions. Um, their cousins could have packed a sandwich back there a couple times. You mentioned that, that drive up the one yard line where Reed got blown off the ball on the second play one-on-one, -on -one, and then the third play, he got blown up the ball on a double team. Devondre Campbell, who barely missed any tackles last year, missed a couple. Eric Stokes had one bad game last year. That was here, and he was bad today. You look, they'll be fine. This isn't going to be an overreaction podcast, but for all the talk and all the hype that this defense has received, they were as whole-hum and as bad as they were for most of last season. And last year, last year they finished the last seven games, I want to say, 28th in scoring other than the 49ers mm -hmm. playoff. These guys have to go prove it, that they, they can go beat a deep offense that's not quarterbacked by Jimmy Garoppolo. They have to go beat a real offense. Um, 
otherwise it's just a bunch of nonsense or Joe Barry's going to be looking for work at the end of this thing. Right. I think, listen, it's one week. Yep. We have to preface everything with that. But, and sure, they could end up being a top five defense. And I think they played pretty well in the second half. They Vikings only scored six points, but the damage had already been done. Um, and it was really Justin Jefferson primarily. And when Jair Alexander says our game plan was to stop number 18 and you fail so horrendously at executing that game plan, which is so blatantly obvious. And I said my story tonight. It's not like he was making contested catches and tight coverage. The guys weren't even in the same zip code as him. I understand he's a good receiver. And yeah, he'll he'll beat Eric Stokes on an in-breaking route. Eric Stokes, by the way, he's got he's to be a lot better mm-hmm. if, if he's going to want to stay on the field as the outside cornerback. You might need to put Rasul Douglas, but... I digress. Um, how do you fail so miserably at that game plan? It's concerning for week one. I asked Jair uh, about his level of concern. He smiled and said very low. So, listen, I trust him. He's one of the best corners in the league. Showed why again tonight. So, aside from the one quote-unquote mistake that we think was a mistake based on what he said with uh, passing Jefferson off in the zone on that, I believe it was a 36-yard touchdown. So, that was the defensive side of the ball. Just not real quick, good. Matt. On, on, on yeah, Jefferson's second touchdown, he runs across the field. He catches the ball at the 19. He takes like a step backward like he's assuming he's going to get hit. It was the damnedest thing. I've never seen a guy running forward to catch a ball but then take a step back. It wasn't like his momentum took him backward. It's like he assumed that he's going to get popped by somebody. And he turned around. There was no one there. It was unbelievable. And then in that first touchdown, too, they just didn't cover him. I mean, you, you can assume they're going to run the ball on fourth and one at the five, but Jesus, you better cover 18. And here's a stat from next gen stats that uh, just showcases how wide open he was his 82 yards after the catch at the time, next gen stats tweeted that, which was 729 PM central time. So about the time that all the after late afternoon games wrapped up his 82 yards after the catch were most in the NFL in week one. And that's not because he, you know, beat Stokes over the top and had a, a, a 60 yard catch and run because nobody was near him on crossers and he just had so much time to run downfield on the one where he like adrian amos went in the spin cycle on kind of that deep post route he ran if you look at the dots that i believe uh i believe seth walder who does espn data and analytics tweeted out like 26 and 31 the dots for 26 and 31 are are like doing circles i i don't understand how uh how free Jefferson can get that often. Um, but we'll see what changes they make for the Bears next Sunday night. Switching to the offensive side of the ball, look. We knew they were behind the eight ball from the start with no Bakhtiari, Jenkins, and Lazard. But would adding in any of those three guys change the ball falling in Christian Watson's hands on the very first offensive play of the game in what was the biggest layup you could get to start off your NFL career? And he just drops it. And the kid, you know, the knock on him in college was the drops. The knock on him sometimes in camp was the drops. First play of the season, Bill. Kid's been dreaming about this, you know, his dad being an NFL guy. He's been dreaming about this. I mean, I talked to him about it on, I think, Monday last week. He said he's, he'd been dreaming about being in the NFL since he was four years old. It's all set up. I mean, he knows the first play is coming to him. He's got a Hall of Famer against him, and he beats the Hall of Famer. <laughs> It's all set up for him, and then he drops it. So you got that play. You've got Riders lamenting not keeping it on fourth and goal at the one. 
and you're talking about all the mental errors on defense, Matt. That was the theme of Rodgers tonight, right? Like every question we asked of Rodgers, he came back to mental errors. And it wasn't just the rookies, it was the offensive line, bad reads. It was, um, it was like the same story, both sides of the ball, just mental mistakes, which is, again, like you said, this isn't the Vikings with a first-year head coach and a first-year scheme. This is a, a veteran group. Yeah, look, the we knew there would be growing pains. Rodgers said it. Um, I do want to absolve Romeo Dobbs of of blame on the one on the first drive where it looked like he was supposed to run an out and he ran in. Rodgers said that was kind of just a throwaway. Um, so I take that back. He looked comfortable tonight, but um, it's the wrong routes and the missed hot reads that we don't see from our perspective that Rodgers was, was talking about. And yeah, he said, you're going to have drops, but these mental mistakes have to get cleaned up. And with these young receivers, he said, you know, we'll allow it now, but the patience is going to run thin pretty quickly as the season progresses. So they got to get it fixed quickly. Um, something I want to talk about in both Matt LaFleur and Rodgers talked about it. Aaron Jones is your best playmaker. He had eight touches tonight. How? Yeah, that's uh, LaFleur quickly admitted to that being being a mistake. And my good, he is. He's 1A best runner, but of those guys in the field, he's, he's the best pass catcher, isn't he? You, yeah. you got you to gotta get him the ball if you don't have Lazard. And look, if you don't have your lineman, you can't throw the ball downfield. So that's where you have to have the screen game, the check down game, the swing pass game. Look, they had that their first good drive of the game came in the second quarter, and Jones had the twenty two yard catch, and he's just wide open the flat, and he's just so dangerous with the ball in his hands. Just you know, in the floor match, I mean, it's it's a bad game plan to not get the ball to thirty three, and maybe some of that's on on twelve too. I mean, we had a should point that out. I mean, Rodgers does have some control at the line of scrimmage, so I, I guess I can't say for sure who to blame is, but. LaFleur, as he always did, did take the blame for it. Listen, I, I think it's always tricky to to really, you know, a lot blame here because guys are, you know, sometimes they just don't want to throw their teammates under the bus. But I think it's safe to say it's the coaching staff did not have a good day today, both on offense and defense. And, yeah, we don't know exactly when Aaron Rodgers changes the play, when he should have thrown it to Aaron Jones, but um, – it's a group effort when you don't get Aaron Jones involved. And then on the defensive side of the ball, like we said, to turn down your arguably your best defender saying he wants to cover Justin Jefferson. And look, Jair didn't say it from a place of malice after the game. He was very calm and respectful when he said it. But still, it's not a great look for either side of the coaching staff. Special teams wasn't a disaster today. They had a couple penalties. Almost though, some punts. Um, Their punt protection was awful. Almost. Yeah, it, it was. it was pretty close. So... Special teams might have been the unit of the day, and even they weren't terrific. But Pat O'Donnell did force some fair catches. I mean, that missed tackle by Rudy Ford, he had Jalen Rager wrapped up dead to rights, and he gets an extra 12 or 13 yards. It's small things like that that have to get cleaned up that maybe they will, maybe they won't. But from what we saw last year, yes, they don't have Devontae Adams. So maybe this offense will take a little while to get going, but I still think this should be a playoff. Yeah, you know, we were just talking about the coaches, Matt, and I know we're going to do questions here shortly but it's a good time to ask this is from Caleb Shampo this one is on the coaches or is it not what do you think yeah partially it's it it's tough to just say it's on on one guy or one group of people it's on Rogers for holding on to the ball too long sometimes it's on 
Watson for that drop. It's on the defensive front for not generating enough pressure. It's on the corners and safeties for bad plays and miscommunication. And sure, it's on the coaches. This was a group effort. Nobody really played well, exceptionally well. I would say A.J. Dillon was probably the player of the game. Um, So it's tough. Just all around not great, but nothing too overly concerning that can't get fixed. I think at this time last year, us on the outside were a lot more pessimistic because we hadn't really seen the Packers bounce back before. We know they can do it. Now, if they don't do it in the next week or two, then the panic button should be on standby. But until then, I think uh, it's R-E-L-A-X, as a certain quarterback likes to say. Yeah, the defense is a disappointment. But Matt, and I know Rodgers wouldn't use it as an excuse, but if you don't have Bakhtiari and Jenkins, isn't this the predictable outcome offensively? Zadarius Smith and Daniel Hunter are against Yash Nyman and and Royce Newman. I mean, what do you think is going to happen? That... I know excuses are for losers, but by God, I'm a loser. (laughs) I'll say it. Well, we all are to some extent. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Let's get to some questions. The people had a lot today. You you got any that caught your eye? Yeah, people love the people love to be pissed off. Here's a good one here. This is from Chris Butler. Is Matt LaFleur a good regular season coach, but not playoff, playoff, or culture changing coach? This team can't seem to overcome adversity in games. Yeah, I, I think that storyline of, you know, once they get behind, they just fold is maybe a little overdone. I'm sure you could point to a handful of games where that did happen, but um, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't put that on him. I mean, we were literally crowning him as one of the greatest regular season coaches of the first three years of his career in NFL history, and rightfully so, but um, he has yet to prove that he can do it in the playoffs, and that's where it matters. Listen, this happens across the NFL. We're just in, in this Green Bay bubble, as are the fans, and understandably so, um, where we look at a coach who's had such success in the regular season, and then there's one bad game here. One, they don't show up there. And yes, his team has scored 10, 7, and 3 points in three of the first four week ones of his tenure here. Is that concerning? Yes. Does it mean he should play his starters in the regular season? No. But it's about how you respond. It's an NFL season. There are 17 games. You're going to hit adversity. LaFleur, LaFleur will never really clear himself of those doubts until he wins a Super Bowl. 
And that's what will clear his name, not performing well in a week one, not these. I want to avoid the overgeneralizations of he just establishes a culture. He doesn't make in-game adjustments. Obviously, he makes in-game adjustments. Jair going on Jefferson probably should have happened earlier, but they fixed it eventually. It was too late. But every game you can nitpick stuff. And there are games like these that certainly don't look good, but I think we get caught up in the moment sometimes and got to look at the bigger picture of what he's done, which is fantastic, but not stupendous because ultimately they have failed in the postseason three years in a row. Right. Everybody focuses on those losses as they should, but people forget about the wins too, right? I mean, beat the Rams last year, beat the Rams in the playoffs. So it's not like he hasn't gotten any big wins, signature wins, come from behind wins. He says all the, it's just so easy to focus on the losses. And look, this is title town. They're supposed to win Super Bowls, so I get it. But I think it's easy to forget that he actually has some, won some big games. So I don't, I don't buy that premise. What do we got next? As I tweet out my story, if you wouldn't sure, mind. Sure, Matt Pickett. Uh, this, actually, I like, this is actually a very good question. I favored it right away. Burn the tape and move on, right? Is there anything from this game that concerns you about the Packers' chances for success this season? No, I think once they get their number one wide receiver and their two best offensive linemen back, then if these offensive deficiencies keep happening, then there's reason for concern. On defense, if they keep allowing other teams' number one wide receivers to cook them every single week and keeping Jair Alexander on number two and number three wide receivers on the other side of the field and just playing sides of the field instead of shadowing, then there will be level for concern. But I think we just need to react in a vacuum it was bad. You never burn the tape. You got to learn from it because if you burn the tape, you don't get to go back and see how bad the game plan was on defense and how bad the execution was. So, um, no, don't burn the tape, learn from it and, uh, make changes going forward. And, and let's not say that. Sure. There were, con- I'll say this, there were concerning things, but no massive reasons for concern. Right. I mean, look, they, they, they lost 38-3 to last year. They were competitive in this game. And Rodgers mentioned it. And of course, this is the what-if stuff. But if Watson catches that one for a touchdown and Rodgers has the keeper on fourth and goal, that's two touchdowns. They have 21. It's potentially a lot different game. So, no, you don't burn it because that's how you clean up all those communication issues. But I don't think there's any reason for concern. It's, it's one it's one game, and I'm going to base it on last year where they had one super, super terrible game, and they end up winning 13 of the next 15, and one of those losses was Rodgers with COVID. So my thinking is they'll be just fine. One more, because I still have to rip off this tweet. <laughs> um, Thrillvia Plath, I may be butchering that, and I apologize. If, these, if this defense was, quote-unquote, dominating our offense in training camp, and this defense just got dominated – just how bad is our offense? Listen, like I said, I wouldn't say the Packers' offense is bad. They, We saw what happened last year. They scored three points. They looked horrific. And then they went on to be fine. It's different this year. Have patience, especially with the young wide receivers. I asked Rod, you know, there's a, a fine line between trying to give Aaron Jones the ball more, but also trying to get these new guys, Sammy Watkins, Romeo Dobbs, Christian Watson involved, Robert Tunyon back after his torn ACL. There's only so many touches to go around. Like they were feeling things out today because you got to get guys, you got to get guys feet wet in this offense since they haven't played meaningful snaps with Rodgers 
in a while or at all, four of them, Tunyon, Watkins, Dobbs, and, and Watson. But then you also want to get 28 and 33, the ball more. So they'll figure it out as the season goes. They'll learn from this one and figure out what to do better against the Bears. But like Jair Alexander said, there's a lot of unscouted looks. You never really know what to expect in week one. Like the, the Texans tied the Colts today. The the I'm trying to think of some other wacky results, but you know, the Patriots got destroyed. The Giants beat the Titans. Like weird stuff happens in week one. It's you don't really know what a team truly is until maybe week six, week seven, week eight. So that's when we can make those these grandiose statements. Totally agree. I thought it was a good question to the Jazz Rogers about getting the ball to 33, but also getting it to Tunyon and so on. Here's one from Lou. I like this question. Do you trust Joe Barry enough to coordinate a defense this talented? The jury is still out. Really good first half of last season. Really bad second half of last season. Really bad first half today. Really good second half. With this level of talent, it should be far more consistent than that. That's what I'll say. Yeah, I agree with that. They just were never – well, they were really good against Seattle last year when Rodgers came back. But after mm-hmm. that, they were getting crushed most weeks. And, look, I realized I didn't have Jair Alexander for that. But they weren't all of me. If you had Rasul Douglas and Eric Stokes and Shannon Sumlin, that's not a terrible group of cornerbacks. And they didn't have Z then. They don't have him now. So there's not, like, this great – divide in talent last year where they weren't very good. Most of the guys who are on this defense are on that defense. And they weren't very good. Yeah, I, I think it is fair, fair to wonder about Barry. If, if these guys have top five talent, if they're not top five by the end of the year, I might go cast net somewhere else. But that's a long, long ways down the road. I get it. But he's got a lot to prove because these guys should be lights out. And I realize there's unscouted looks. Well, he's got unscouted looks too, right? But... His unscored looks didn't work out against anybody. One more. I'm about to tweet. I promise. <laughs> I don't want to make you do all the heavy lifting. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> From Zach, why in God's green earth was Jake Hansen starting over Zach Tom? By God, that's a really good question, Zach. I have no idea. I got no answer for you. Yeah, Jake Hansen doesn't impress me no. at all. That's why I asked Steno about it on Thursday. It's like, what, what have you seen in him over the last 13 months? He said he's, he's a good run blocker and he's gotten better in pass protection. Not seeing it. And on the, uh, I couldn't really tell exactly. It looked like A.J. Dillon ran behind Josh Myers more so on the fourth and goal from the one. But Jake Hansen just got yeah, pushed back. Yard, he got yard no back. push on that one either. Yeah, yeah, that was, obviously, Zedarius Smith making the play on that. But if Hansen's not pushed into the backfield just a little bit, maybe Dillon has mm-hmm. just enough momentum to get himself forward. So, yeah, that's uh, starting by default, maybe. But again, you're, yep. you're going to get your tackles back, and you know, not that I don't think Roy Steeman was super fantastic at right guard last year, but he's got 16 games of starting experience at that spot. So you, you get your tackles back. Maybe Newman goes back there, or maybe Zach's your guy in the long run. But they'll be all right. I, I wouldn't think Jake Hansen's long for for starting. From Wyatt Fulton, David and Elton were officially panicking. Godwin is playing. Chris Godwin is playing after tearing his ACL in Week 15 and looks good. Anything positive on our guys? Um, listen, I know fans want to panic. I don't think there's any reason to panic for Elton towards ACL in week 11. It's, what, now? That was November. Nine and a half months, I think. Nine and a half months, so no no reason to worry about him. Um, 
obviously there is reason to worry about Bakhtiari, as there should be. Um, will he play again? I would assume so. I would expect him to. He did team drills, but was there a setback late this week? He didn't practice on Friday? Like, it's all just a bit peculiar. Until he plays a couple games in a row, I will always be skeptical about whether A, he'll play, or whether B, he'll be the same player anywhere near it when he does come back. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, I kind of thought they were both going to start. They didn't. Jinkles will be fine. You know, Bakhtiari wasn't the sideline today, so that makes you think that maybe there wasn't a setback. And um, Shoot, I don't know, Matt. <laughs> he didn't practice on Friday. I don't know how to score that away. There's been so many false starts on his comeback, and maybe we're just kind of ingrained in believing the worst here. But that he didn't practice on Friday is uh, not great. Unless they just knew he wasn't going to play this game and they just gave him the day off and made sure that Yash had all the reps individual and team-wise, but they need them. Look, these guys go to, I still say they go to the Super Bowl in 2020 with them. And if he's here with, in 2021, they might have gone last year too. He's hugely important. Mm-hmm. They need him back. Any other questions catch your eye? No, it's a lot of Matt LaFleur stuff. Let's get one more. Let me find a really good one that I like. Let's see if we got a loyal listener in here. Well, you ponder. Here's one right. from CSWC Andy. So what's the plan at wide receiver? And this is the part I want to get to. Does a trade need to be made? In other words, Matt, are you sticking with what you got? Get Lazard back, let the rookies grow? Or do you guys have figured out something else? You stick with what you have for now. Um, look, when Alan Lazard comes back, I think they have capable pass catchers. Romeo Dobbs and Christian Watson could very well turn out to be very good receivers. They have both played one NFL game. Now, do you need a, a veteran for a late-season push if Dobbs and Watson don't blossom into something? Perhaps. Maybe. But I wouldn't say there needs to be changes yet. They were without their number one, supposed number one wide receiver. And for all this talk about the wide receivers, two of their three most reliable pass catchers are not wide receivers. Remember that, too, Robert Tunyon and Aaron Jones. And A.J. Dillon's a, a very sturdy pass catcher as well. So... As we've said all, all preseason, they're going to rely on them heavily in the passing game as well, and we saw a little bit of a, uh, a taste of that today. Yeah, interesting timing here. If you get into, say, November, and Watson and Dobbs just aren't going to be – they're just not going to be the guys for you this year. That's just about mm-hmm. the time some guy named Odell Beckham Jr. is back from his ACL, right? November, December. Yeah. So if you're still in the hunt here, there's a guy who's going to be available. But no, for now, I, you stick with what you got and see if they can grow into what you think they might be. You got one? No, none of the others. Like you said, it's a lot of the same of, is Matt LaFleur bum? Is he just a regular season coach? Who's the blame on? We talked about that. Let's see if I can find one that's a little different. We talked about Jake Hansen over, over Zach Tom. Um I do want to touch on just a couple of the injuries, just a housekeeping thing before we get out of here. I saw Chris Barnes on crutches in the locker room. Um, No air cast on his foot. His left ankle didn't look mangled, or his right ankle, I should say, didn't look mangled. But uh, getting carted off with an air cast on your lower right leg is never a good sign. John Runyon got a concussion uh, in the third quarter, didn't return. That's when Zach Tom came in at left guard. And then... Quay Walker and Keyshawn Nixon both had shoulder injuries. Nixon's came when he had a really nice third down stop and, and 
kind of like Dallin Levitt in the first preseason game, his his left arm went completely limp as he as he jogged off the field. So a um, couple injuries to watch there. But other than that, this week is just about are David Bakhtiari, Elton Jenkins, and Alan Lazard going to play? Yes, we can make judgments about the team in a nutshell here, but nothing too grand until those three guys, nothing too grand about the offense, I should say, until those three guys come back. And who better to to get right against than the Chicago Bears coming into Lambeau Field for a Sunday night game? But I will say the Bears are 1-0. They did beat the 49ers today, which is a nice win. Did you see any of that game, Matt? I know we we're kind of busy pregame, but yeah, I mean, it was, they were in a puddle. It was amazing. That was awesome. That, that, so they'll be swimming up, swimming up the Green Bay here on on Sunday night. Fair enough. All right. Appreciate your guys' questions as always. We'll talk to you. Uh, well, you'll be listening to us next Monday morning. I guess you do anyway, but we'll be recording. Late into the night next Sunday night, primetime, Sunday, Bears at Packers, home opener. Can the Packers rebound from another week one dud? We will see. And what does it tell us about their team? Will they go 0-17 or will they win the Super Bowl? We will know by next Sunday night. No overreactions, though. None. That is not an overreaction. That's just fair, measured analysis. (laughs) All right. See you later, guys.